Thanks, Ted, trying to get me in trouble. If you have your Bibles, open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Continuing in Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Val's got one. He's running low, but keep your hand up. Just almost enough. A couple more. And if you see me changing glasses, it's because I stepped on my glasses, and these are my old pair, and my eyes have gotten worse, so I can't read with the old pair, but these are readers, and I can't, everyone's, if I do this, I'll get nauseous, I'll get, do do my eyes look like giant balls right now, because that's how they feel, like, you know, like, okay, anyway. I thought you guys would like to know my dilemma. Um, As we've looked, the last week we talked about how Solomon spoke to us about not playing games with God. That if we're going to make a vow to God, we we need to keep that vow. And it would be better not to make a vow vow to God than to make one and not keep it. You know, a lot of time we can go through religious activity that is not connected to our hearts and our lives and is not connected to God. And we talked about playing games with God. And, and, you know, once again, we see that Solomon knows all about how things should be done, but still failed to do them. And it's not an uncommon thing, actually, for people to know about the truth, but to not involve themselves in the truth. You know, it's easy for someone to to put a tattoo on their arm that, you know, says forgiven or says grace or says whatever. And yeah, I've got it across my heart, you know, whatever it is, but it's still not a part of their life. You know, it's on their skin, but it's not in their hearts. And we really need to see that there is more to just this faith than talking or playing the games. And... Solomon is going to go on and talk to us now a little bit more just about some of the issues that he struggled with to try and deal with some of these things. And as, we're, as we've been talking about this meaninglessness, this kind of laborious task of just dealing with Solomon's dark side, so to speak, we're going to be taking a turn. After chapter 6, we go to a, a more philosophical discussion, which is going to be a little bit easier, palatable for us, I hope. You know, it won't be so depressing because we're going to talk about some depressing things again. Oh boy, Um, starting in verse 8 of chapter 5, Solomon starts off and he says, If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. And so Solomon starts off by saying, you know what? Don't be surprised when someone is making money from you. Basically, he's saying the garbage just goes downhill. And so if you're a worker, you have a manager who's over you. And that manager is using you to do the work that he doesn't have to do And he's making money off of you. But that manager has a supervisor over him who's also using that manager to do the work that he doesn't have to do 
so that he can make money from that manager and it can go up to the CEO and it can go in Solomon's time up to the king. Even the king, you guys have your fields and you guys give money towards or your crops or whatever it is to the kingdom, which is basically the king. For us, it might be the government. You know, you pay your taxes and there's always someone making money off of you. And he says, don't be surprised. That's just how it is. And we need to recognize that this is a just a status in our society, in our world. This is how things are in life. And if you recognize that people are always going to be over other people and are always going to be using people to, to make profit, and that's kind of the foundation that he's setting for the rest of the things that he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about making money off of other people. If you recognize these things, if you're not surprised about these things, maybe you'll stop sending me emails about President Obama or President Bush, or President, you know, Clinton before that, and, and all these complaining, oh, the government, oh, this people, all the... Hey, you guys, don't be surprised. This is how it is. People want to make money, and they will use their authority, their status, if they're higher and above you, to make money off of whoever they can. That's how it is. And maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a supervisor, maybe you're a CEO... And maybe that's a position you are in. And so he starts off talking about those things, the profit that we get. And the goal is to get more, to get more from these people, to try and establish yourself into a higher position. And he goes on into his conclusion in verse 10 to talk about this. And he says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Waiting for amens there, but that would mean you love money, so don't, maybe you won't want to go there. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with the income. This, too, is meaningless, and I think we can all relate to this. It doesn't matter how much you make. It seems like if you make 30000 you know how to live off of 32000 and if you make 40000 you know how to live off of 45000 And if you make 60000 you can live off of 68000 You just always know that I, if I had a little bit more, I could really make it. And we are just in this consumer mentality. And it doesn't seem to matter how much we have. We can spend more than we have. We're good at that. Some are better than others. Don't be proud about that. You know who you are. But whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor and, he can care, and that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. 
And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Feeling good? And so Solomon gives us this bleak picture. You know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And Solomon, even though he's got some wrong conclusions, he hits some right points. He makes some statements that resonate with us, that we need to look at and evaluate. And maybe his conclusion is one of despair and darkness, and we know that he is speaking from his own experience, but what we need to do is look at what he's saying, glean those things that resonate true, and see now what do they look like in our lives. You know, those who love money never have enough. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. And Solomon here says you can't take it with you. Naked you come into this world and you leave the same way. You can't take money with you. Which Joe and Nicole need to let Gage know that because Gage swallowed a penny the other day and I guess was dislodged and they got it out okay surgically. He's fine. But sorry, Gage, can't take it with you. And we have this understanding that really all the things that we have, they, they don't bring security. And, and that's what he's trying to say, that there is no security in the monetary wealth. The, all the money you get doesn't bring the satisfaction that you are desiring. It, it doesn't quench the hunger for more. And if anyone should know that, it's Solomon, because he had an abundance. And so as he's telling us this, he's telling us the, the pains that he has gone through, the struggle that he has experienced, trying to satisfy himself with things. And Paul tells us a little bit that, about this in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Notice that word hope. We're going to talk about that, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So Paul says, don't put your hope in wealth that is uncertain. Because... You can't trust it. Instead, put your hope in God. And this is the idea that we are trying to get to that, that Solomon struggled with. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a passage you're very familiar with. It says, faith is, the, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is the religious word for trust. And the idea of hope, hope is kind of this word that we use in a lot of different ways. You know, I hope it cools down. You know, I hope the temperature, hope I have enough gas to make it home. I, I hope 
they bring back Knight Rider. You know, whatever it is you want, you, you have hope in. <laughs> You're going to be hoping a long time. Hope is this kind of idea of, of something that you are looking forward to. Something that you are trying to find security in. And you see, what do we hope in? What is it in your life that gives you security? Is it money? Is it those substance things that you can buy or obtain? And you might say, oh, no, 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 it's not money. But we really need to, to ask ourselves this and search our hearts seriously about this. Because we all enjoy the benefits of money. You know what it's like when the bills are paid. Or maybe you don't, but we all want to know what it's like when the bills are paid and there's still money in the bank where I can still go to buy some new shoes or buy something that I want, to, to be able to go out to eat dinner. There's this security that you have, this feeling of, yes, we've got money, things are good. You get a promotion, you get a raise, you get a new job, and you have this, oh boy, things are going to be better now because I got this. And what you're doing is saying, I have security now that things are changing or moving in the good or that there's money in the bank. Things are well. And you might also know what it's like to not have the money in the bank. To know that you're going to have a high electric bill because it's been summertime and so you're going to be pushing a $200 electric bill but you only have $70 in the bank. And you're thinking, oh, this isn't good. And now there's insecurity because I'm lacking. I don't have that security. And see, hope is what we put security in and we need to ask ourselves, what gives us security? Is it the things that we possess? Is it the money? Is it maybe the job? Is it the relationship I'm in? You know, I'm with this guy now. Oh, this is good. I'm going to be, my life is going to be good now. I have this feeling of satisfaction and security because of this relationship that I'm in. And Paul uses, or the writer of Hebrews actually uses Abraham as this example. In, in Hebrews there in chapter 11, which is kind of that hall of faith, he talks about these things. In verse 8, he says that we need to consider how secure this person Abraham was, what, what he found security in, what he hoped in. And in verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation, whose architect and builder is God." And so we see this example of what faith and having hope in something looks like. And Abraham had faith in God and the promise of God. And so he left, what did he leave? He left security. 
he left a home and moved out of his home to a place he did not know. We need to get out of our mind that faith is this place of comfort because faith is a place of trust. Faith is a place of tension. Faith is a, a place that stretches us of, to depend on things that we don't yet see, but we are placing our trust in, our hope on. And so Abraham left the, the place of security and lived in a tent for years. This is like a long Labor Day weekend for years. And, you know, I'm sure their tents were really just pretty sweet, but a tent's a tent. Living in the desert in a tent. Want to sweep out the dirt again, honey? You know, sure. You guys know that with tents? Man, dirt just, it's like a magnet. And you see, what Abraham trusted in was the promise that God had given him, that I will have a place for you. And he lived in security to that promise. And really what we're doing now is this, this world that we're living is, is like a, a huge remodel. It's a remodeling that's taking place. This is, there's no security here. It's a remodeling preparing us for something that will happen. Have you guys ever been a part of a, a home remodel? You know what it's like? I mean, it's, it's always a little discomforting. You don't go to bed thinking, man, it's so neat having all that dust over the house. We did a huge remodel about 10 years ago now. Added a room, redid the kitchen. And, and I started it, and Corrine went with a couple of the kids to Mexico. And so I thought, this is a great opportunity. She's in Mexico. I'm going to demolish the kitchen. So when she comes back, she'll kind of be, you know, I was just in Mexico. They didn't have anything. Now we don't have a kitchen. You know, that's kind of the way I was thinking. <laughs> and so she went to Mexico, and I gutted the kitchen. I mean, I gutted it. You, you were seeing, well, in the backyard, you were seeing the backyard because I took out the whole back wall. And then the kitchen, it was just down to the wood. I mean, we pulled up the floor, and you were just seeing the stucco on the outside. It was just gutted. And we lived that way for about a year. I put up some plastic, you know, to try and keep us from the elements outside. And I did a cool job, too. It had kind of this clean room thing where you go into the other room, and then you had to go through this other room, try and keep the dust at a minimal. But, you know, it's just this awkward thing. There's a piece of plastic for a wall. You're doing dishes in the bathtub. You know, it's just things are awkward because you're not in a place where things are settled. There were some cool things about it. The refrigerator was right next to the TV. You know, so you could just go get something to eat and go back, sit down. In fact, the kids still wanted, can we leave the refrigerator? And then, uh, mom's not going to go for that. But you see, the idea of remodeling is this unsettled. Things are not yet what they should be. And Abraham saw that there was not security to be had except in the promise of God. And so he put his hope in that and not in the monetary things, not in the wealth, not in the things that he could have. And too many times our faith and belief in God has nothing to do with our security in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Our, our belief in God is not connected to what we are secure in. It's separate. And what that means is we're not actually hoping in God. We are hoping in something else. Anything else. And so we need to ask ourselves, is our hope in God also the place for our security in life? Or are they disconnected? Is our faith in God over here, but our security in life is in our IRA, in our retirement, in those things? What are we finding security in? Because wherever your hope ends... That's where you really are trusting and what you're really trusting in. And so we are living in the middle of this giant remodel. We can't really relax. There's going to be dust in our lives that we can expect the turmoil of our lives to happen. But the hope and the security is actually in the promises that God gives. That's where there's stability. Is that the case with us? Because Solomon had an issue because it wasn't the case with him. Here was a man who had so much, he put his hope in all these things that he had, but he was not secure. He was not satisfied. He goes on continuing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. It, it seems like Solomon's going to turn the corner here. He says, then I realized, see the light bulb going off over his head, that it is good and proper for a man to eat, drink, and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor <clears throat> under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possession and enables him to enjoy him them to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Doesn't it sound like, all oh, right, a conclusion. Solomon has now made this conclusion. It's good to be satisfied. And Paul talks about that as well. I have learned to be content whether I have a lot or a little. I'm satisfied with the portion God gives me. And so we know, yeah, this is a good thing. But let's continue reading in chapter 6. Because you know Solomon, he can't stay there. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. Now, remember what he just said about being content. God gives a man wealth, possession, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them. And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Like, man, that didn't last long. And now we see that Paul, I mean, Solomon is actually dealing with his own personal struggle. He sees other people enjoying and goes, oh man, that's a gift of God. But something's evil. When you have all these things, but you can't enjoy them. And we see that Solomon is really talking about his own heart here. Even as he continues in verse 3, a man may have a hundred children, no Solomon, just you, and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial. I say that a stillborn is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. 
we see the stark side of Solomon where he recognizes that all the things that he has strived for have left him wanting. And it doesn't matter what he has, it's not enough. And even if he had a hundred children, now you and I might think, a hundred children, I thought he was looking for a blessing, you know, I mean, a hundred children, what were we talking about? But remember, this was an inheritance, this was something that they were to find richness in. If you had children, you were prosperous in those times. Remember the promise given to Abraham? Can you count the stars? So will your descendants be. The promise. But what was it? It was in the promise of God that his descendants would be. You see, Solomon, he thought, man, it doesn't matter what I have. I'm going to die, and I'm not enjoying any of it. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you're feeling like I'm on this, you know, treadmill and I'm just going, I'm going and going on the hamster wheels, just squeaking away. I, I'm trying to make things go forward and go forward, but I feel like I'm standing still and I'm not enjoying my life. It's passing me by and I'm missing what I long to have and that is satisfaction and security. Whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, it doesn't seem to matter. I'm not satisfied in the things that we have. And, and you see, that's exactly what Solomon is going. He talks about those who are satisfied and being able to enjoy it. There's that clock being right on the right time again. But then he goes on and he quickly moves past. And he wants to know, what do I have to do to find satisfaction and security? How do I get that? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about that. And we're going to close with the words of Jesus regarding this in Matthew chapter 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Change glasses here. I'm getting new ones next week. Starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, this was the key that Solomon was missing. His treasure was in the things. His treasure was in the wealth that he had. His treasure was in how many kids he had. His treasure was in how successful he was. His treasure was in these things. And that's where his heart was. And sure enough, the corruption came. The moths destroyed. The rust. The thieves would come in and steal. He would have to leave it for someone else. He saw that I worked for all these things. Actually, a lot of it was given to him. But I don't get to keep any of it. And Jesus gives us a different perspective. And he says, don't put your treasure there. Put your treasure in the things of heaven. The things that God has. And we're going to talk about what that is a little bit more. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what Jesus is saying, if you do not see things clearly, if you cannot see that it is futile to put treasure in things that will not last, then your eyes are going to be darkened. You are going to be living for the wrong things. You are going to be a frustrated person, and that darkness is going to be great. If that is what your goal is, as was Solomon's, you're going to find it was a disastrous goal. And so how you perceive things and what you're living for is very important here. He goes on and he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so he draws the line clear. If you are living to get all you can get, you will not get enough and you will not be able to serve God because your heart and your treasure is in the things, is in the money. Now, is money bad? He's not saying that. But if that is your focus, if your eyes are set on that, if your security is to be found in money, you're going to find a false security. And you're going to be let down. You can't serve God and be serving to please your appetite that is never satisfied. The Proverbs tell us, Solomon wrote, Hell and destruction are never full, neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Solomon should have listened to his own words. doesn't matter how much you have. And those things can keep you from going to where God wants you to go. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said that Jesus loved him. And he said, Master, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law, you know the things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, oh, I, I've kept the law. I've done all these things ever since my youth. And Jesus said, it's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and come, be my disciple. Follow me. And it says that the man was sorry because he had a lot of stuff. Think about that. Here is a man who's being invited into this relationship with Jesus himself to be a disciple, to follow after Jesus, and he turns it down because of stuff. And we say, wow, man, yeah, that's sad. How many things is God calling us to but we can't do because we're worried about our stuff? And maybe the same thing is happening with us. And Jesus put his finger on the one thing that this guy was holding on to, his treasure. And that was his fall. Jesus goes on and he tells us, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body about what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, these words at first strike us as like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about how we're going to eat. We got to worry about those things. He's saying life is more than those things. He's not saying that those things aren't important as we're going to see, but he's saying if you're living just for those things, you're missing the big picture. It's more than 
food. The body is more important than clothes. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus was answering the emptiness of Solomon's heart. And Solomon is saying, this is meaningless. I've worked for, got all this, and it's for naught. I'm working for the wind. And Jesus says, Solomon, in everything that you attained, the glory of the temple, all the things you possessed, a single flower has more beauty than all the things you worked so hard to manufacture. He goes on and he says, verse 30, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? What is faith? What we hope in, what we are secure in, what we trust in. O oh, you of little faith. He says, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Those who don't believe in God, that's what they do. But you're supposed to be different. You believe. The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God is not oblivious to our needs, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that. So in conclusion, what Jesus is bringing us into is this place where we need to recognize that there is more to life than this stuff, that the money and the things are there for a purpose, but our lives are not there for them, that life is much bigger than that. And what we can find ourselves doing, and especially here in the United States and the Western civilization as a whole, is we find ourselves living to consume. And we've talked about this before. It's about getting the better car. It's about getting the newer clothes. It's about getting the bigger house. It's about getting the stuff. And we live and we, let, we recognize that life is passing us by. And all this time we're working for what? For something that will not last, something that will fade away, something that will crumble and, and just be nothing in just a matter of years. And yet, that's our focus. That's what we're trying to, to secure hope in. You know, it's like that man who's in the river and he's heading down for the, the falls and it's going to be the death if he goes over the waterfall and someone throws him out a rope, but next to him is this giant log and he grabs onto the log instead of the rope. The rope is attached to something. The log is attached to nothing. And he holds onto it all the way over the falls because it is not connected to anything of substance. And we find our lives are just going over the falls because we're holding on to nothing. And it's as if we are living in the ocean of God's abundance, the ocean of God's wealth, the ocean of God's ability 
and magnificence and wonder and glory. But we are captured by the lure, the bait and the hook of this world and living for the stuff, living for the status, living for ourselves. And we don't realize that Solomon in all his glory could not touch what God just uses and gives as decoration. And, and I wonder how many of our lives stop short of enjoying the wonder of God because of the pool of stuff. I wonder where we could go and what we could do if we weren't so bound by the things that we have. I wonder how our lives would look and the adventure our life would be if we would not live for the things, but we would live for God who gives us the things. And as I said before, Paul says, I know how to live with plenty, and I know how to live with little. I'm content because it's not about the stuff. It's about doing the will of God. It's about following after Jesus, which that rich young ruler did not do. It's about loving the right things. And so, you know, I want to ask ourselves some questions just to kind of answer maybe this question of ourselves, some practical helps we can look at and see, is this us? One is, is my security in life connected to my faith in God or is it connected to something else? Is my security in life connected to God or is it connected to something else? If it's connected to something else, what changes do I need to make to make things right? If my life is all about the job, if my life is all about the material things, and what do I need to change? You know, a few weeks ago, we cleaned out our closets to try and just say, enough is enough. Maybe there's other things we need to clean out in our lives. Maybe we need to clean out the overtime, spend a little more time with family. Maybe we need to, and I'm not telling you to do these things, I don't know. But is there something that needs to change so that your security is not in the things? Second thing I want to ask us is, is are my decisions in life based around the monetary and material goals? In other words, do I make decisions based on money? Or does the kingdom of God come into play? Do you really think you are here to work? Do you think God has put you on this planet to put in that time and to get that paycheck? Is that what your life is about? Is that all it is? Well, I'm going to go to school so I can get the job, so I can work, so I can get the money, so I can buy the house, so I can do the... Is that really what your life is about? Or is there something more? And the question isn't, should you not go to school? Should you not get the job? The question is, what is the more? What are the things you should be living for? What, what are you basing your decisions on? An example. 
I'm doing the dog training, as you guys know. Well, I'm trying to develop my business more. Why? So I can get more money? Yeah, part of it. I, I need money. But I also want to use this as a means of getting to know people in our community so I can involve myself in the lives of other people. I just don't know another, enough people that don't know Christ. I need to know more of them. And this is my means of getting to know people. And so this isn't just about money. This is about what I feel God is directing me to do, how God is moving me. And so my vocation is connected to a desire to be a part of something that God is doing. It's not just about moving into the money. It's about moving where God is and what God wants to do. And if it does well, I can maybe even provide jobs for other people. That would be wonderful. But you see, it's not just about getting the money. It's not just about, well, boy, then I can get a new car. I've always wanted that Porsche Carrera. It's not about the stuff. It's about moving to where God is moving. Where God is working, that's where I want to be. And so are my decisions based just on money? Or are they the goals of the kingdom? And are they involved with my thinking? This week, make a decision that is kingdom motivated and not just about you. Challenge yourself. This week I am going to be mindful of the kingdom of God and I'm going to move my life on purpose towards the things that God wants me to do and not just towards the money. Not just towards the stuff. But actually make a decision that I'm going to move and maybe it'll be helping someone in need. Maybe it'll be developing a friendship outside of your, your comfort zone and your circle. Maybe it's investing yourself in someone or something that isn't directly connected to you and, and you making money. Maybe it'll be helping someone else out, giving your time in that way, and investing your life in something else. It, it's a challenge for all of us to take a step outside of our boxes and how we're living and recognize that there is a world of wonder that God has for us to enjoy. And we may be blind because we are living it consumed by the things. And we're trying to succeed ourselves, but we're starving our spirits. And we're holding on to a log that is going over the falls, and we need to let go. And we need to grab that lifeline and make the right decision. Because if you don't see right, if your eyes are full of darkness, your whole life will be dark. And great will be that darkness. And that's not what we want. Let's pray. Father, I am so pulled by things. Lord, my weakness is electrical gadgets. I, I like the, the latest stuff. Whether it's a new laptop, new TV, new phone. I just like all the trinkets. Father, it's so easy for me to 
to be dissatisfied in the things that I have because I want something new, I want something more. And I don't even realize that I'm taking the bait sometimes. I don't even realize that I'm living for stuff. And God, I think we are all pulled by our society and our culture so many ways towards the material things. And that becomes what we live for. It becomes what holds us. And now we can no longer go to Haiti or, or serve you in another way because we have to pay for the things that we keep consuming. And no longer can we open our lives up to change because we're, we're locked into that mortgage or that car payment or whatever it is, God. Those things now have hold of us. And, and the desires we have to move forward and to involve our lives with the things that you might have us to do to step out and, and start ministering to, to the young ladies who are pregnant or to reach those who are homeless or to start a kitchen that feeds people or, or whatever it might be, this, this world of wonder that you have out there, we just don't step into it because we're obligated already to money. And God, you know our needs. And you want us to be able to live. You said you would provide for us even as you do the birds, even as you clothe the flowers. You said you would take care of us. And so my desire for myself and for us here is that we would take your words, Jesus, and before the material, we would seek first your kingdom your righteousness and allow you to do the miraculous. Father, if we're not receiving, maybe it's because we're not trusting. Maybe it's because we don't have faith in you. Our security is not really in you. It's in something else. And we don't want to be like Solomon who thinks he's working for the wind, who thinks it would be better if he was never alive. You came to give us life, and a life in abundance, a life that gets past the obstacles of this world, the life that takes us beyond the stuff. A life that has hope in the midst of tragedy. And Lord, even now we, we lift up Denise and the Coda family as they've lost their little boy. And Lord, even as she shared with me, you are strengthening her. You are working in her family. And she is able to see you in this dark place in her life. Lord, may she continue to look to you for her security, for her strength. And may we do the same. Father, may our eyes be on you. And may we seek first above anything else before our desire to be content or to be satisfied with something else. May we seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and trust you to add the rest. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.